another episode talking this time about uh, threat intelligence and all the cool stuff that goes on around misinformation, disinformation, other crazy stuff in the cyberspace. Have an expert on Charity Wright from Recorded Future. Known you for a long time. Would you give, I don't know, a 15 or 30 second sort of history of who you are and what you do and why we should listen? <laughs> yeah. Um, I started my career in the U.S. Army back in 2005. I joined to be a Chinese linguist. So I was uh, stationed at the National Security Agency for a few years where I served um, as an intelligence analyst there. And then, as you know, I met you in 2015 when I broke into cybersecurity um, and we worked together at Armor Defense. I've worked at various corporations and, and big companies since then. And then a couple of years ago, I decided to jump into the vendor side and work um, just in cyber threat intelligence for uh, a threat intel company. I'm currently at Recorded Future. I work with the Insect Group, which is a research team, and I focus my time on China, strategic intelligence, some geopolitical stuff, cyber threats, and counter disinformation. So all super easy topic, especially when you're thinking about you know a foreign language like Chinese. Like why why did you pick such a difficult language for someone from the West to learn? Oh, well, unlike you guys in the Navy, in the Army, I didn't get a choice. <laughs> well, so, yeah, we, we do get a choice. Yeah, it's usually one of, uh, it's not, usually not that good. I, they, they, don't, they didn't even give you a choice, huh? They just said, you're going to learn Chinese, huh? I had no idea what I was doing, really. I just, they said, we're going to send you to learn a foreign language. I thought that was pretty cool. In 2005, I assumed I'm going to learn Arabic and go to Iraq. But uh, instead, I was the only one. They said, you're going to go learn Chinese. And I was like, I, I don't think that's possible. But <laughs> somehow I made it through. <laughs> that's cool. So because yeah, cause you went to DLI over in Monterey, which is a terrible place to be stationed. It's only like <laughs> one of the most beautiful places. I'm always every time somebody says they went to DLI, I'm like, really? Like that? That's not even rough duty. Like that's that's yeah. awesome. Monterey, California for, for about two years. Language school was 18 months you know, to go from knowing absolutely no Chinese to like college proficiency. So uh, the goal is to get proficient enough to really understand what you're hearing, translate in real time into English, and then really just grow in the language on the job, which I did at NSA. Yeah, Fort, you because you were at Fort Meade proper, right, HQ? Uh, no, actually, I was in Hawaii. Okay. Uh, before Edward Snowden worked there, I did not work with that guy. Um, luckily, so. <laughs> yeah, because the, the that's Kia, right? KR Sock. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was the, in the mountain. The mountain was like super top secret until Snowden came out, and and then all the helicopters swarmed over the tunnel, trying to look for this like where is this underground building? But yeah, it's it one used of the pineapple to... fields. Yeah. Yeah. Under the goal of pineapple fields, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, so with with all the stuff going on around China right now, like in your in your professional opinion, where are we at with this uh, sort of geopolitical thing going on? Are we because everybody's always asking me about like, well, what's up with China? Are we losing? Are we winning? Are we? I mean, in the cyberspace, what, are we are we doing any better? Are we doing worse? Like, where are we at? I think we're really challenged right now more than we have been in the past. You know, everyone brings up, oh, but yeah, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we've had military challenges with them in the Taiwan Straits and, you know, 
uh, one of their planes got shot down. Yes, that that was some serious military escalation. But what we've been through in the past five, 10 years with cyber intrusions um, has brought us to this very tense point. And especially when you zoom out and look at how fast China has grown, they are considered the number two uh, world power right now behind the U.S. So if it's a competition, we're still at number one. Um, and that's taking into consideration economy, military, uh, all, all sorts of factors. But that is really what prompted me to start looking at what is, what is the risk here? Is it fear mongering? Is everyone just scared um, for no reason? Or like, let's take a look at what are our biggest risks, you know, with China. So what is our biggest risk with China? I mean, and I guess follow on to that is how long do we stay number one? If, if they're coming up on us this fast, do we stay number one? Do we lose? Are we, are we slipping into, you know, second tier here? Yeah, I think we're still going to be ahead for a little while, but if we take certain measures to increase competition with them and, you know, recently I did some research, um, I called it China's digital colonialism. And it really is um, a, a report that explores espionage and human rights issues that go along with, uh, you know, Chinese technology. And what we see right now is China is taking advantage of some gaps around the world where the Western markets and companies are not filling. So we're talking like, you know, 5G technology um, in developing regions of the world, Latin America, Africa, South Asia. And, you know, many of those countries and regimes just didn't have the budget or the money to fund bringing in Western companies to fulfill those needs for technology and internet connection. And China is fulfilling those needs. That's where they're succeeding the most is these big projects, infrastructure projects. Like, um, you know, most people know it as the Belt and Road Initiative, which is kind of an all encompassing umbrella term for, you know, dams and bridges and roads and trains, all of these big infrastructure projects. But what we're honing in at, on as cyber threat intelligence uh, researchers is the digital Silk Road, which is the basically the technology portion of the BRI. And so what I looked at was where are they developing technology? Um, and in those regions I did mention are, are their primary um, objectives. And the reason is they are offering state-backed loans. China's offering state-backed loans to many of these poor countries that couldn't afford the technology otherwise. Now, that's like opening a can of worms. We're talking about debt trap diplomacy. You know, many of these countries are not even going to be able to pay back the billions of dollars they're borrowing. And so, unfortunately, the result of, of that is uh, China is confiscating some of their critical infrastructure and taking ownership of that critical infrastructure. Um, but beyond the whole loan aspect, the research really focuses on where is China building out their technology, um, how that gives them a foothold for espionage operations like cyber espionage. And then also there's a lot of human rights concerns that go along with the export of surveillance technology to illiberal regimes around the world. So, I mean, those are, that's, 
it's almost like extortion sort of tactics, right? Of like, look, I'm going to give you a bunch of money. Eh, go off and do cool things. Oh, you can't pay it back. Well, I'm going to, I mean, the mafia did that in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about here, right? Basically. That's, that's my main concern. When I started researching this, I thought, okay, yes, people are very scared of Beijing's rise. But what exactly are the risks and the threats that we're looking at? This is, this is what we're most concerned with. Now, some of these countries, they go into it very hopeful that the technology will help their economy expand. They'll have better jobs. They'll be able to like, catch up with the rest of the world and eventually repay those loans. Um, others don't look as hopeful and you know, have already started paying some of the consequences. And then beyond that, if we talk about cyber espionage threats, um, in this research, I outlined eight different case studies of countries or specific governments that are now suffering the consequences of cyber espionage from, you know, the, the Chinese government, um, the Communist Party of China, as a result of maybe not knowing how to secure their new infrastructure. Um, in some cases, these big Chinese companies like Huawei went in and uh, the Chinese government gifted the technology or the infrastructure to an organization like African Union um, yep. in yeah. Ethiopia. Yeah. That's, that's a case study most people are familiar with. Um, so I'll just give a high level overview of that and feel free to cut me off. Um, no, no, this is all, I mean, this is all the, the super interesting stuff because I mean, people like I, I, I get people that are asking me about it. And I'm like, I'm not an, a China expert. So having somebody like you break it down is what what I'm, I'm interested in hearing about. Yeah. And this is really what we were looking for is not to prove a theory or hypothesis, but just to like honestly, with no bias, explore what has happened in the past along the digital Silk Road. And what we found is there's a series of incidents, um, some that are very public and some that are not as public. The African Union incident, uh, I forget what year they gifted, I would have to go back and look. Um, the Chinese government gifted the African Union a building, like a headquarters building, and all of the digital infrastructure they needed and the internet technology for that building. The problem was, the technology was built from the ground up with extreme security vulnerabilities, some that looked like they were built that way on purpose. And it wasn't until five years later after it was built that one of their security or you know engineers basically discovered large amounts of data being siphoned out to a private server in Shanghai. Um, once they confronted Huawei about that, um, there wasn't a good explanation for it. And so they ended up firing the Huawei engineers, um, you know, re totally re-engineering the technology that they had to cut off access to China and hired their own team. But this is just one example of several others that are like this. The technology was built from the ground up with um, wide open gaps, you know, um, some that look to be tunneled out just for access to China. Um, so that's, you know, and we know that we know that they've been conducting cyber espionage intrusions around the world 
on other networks. So it's like, why wouldn't they do that if, uh, you know, if they had some interest in that organization where they're building? Yeah, because I mean, this ultimately is about, you know, if like a lot of folks are not necessarily familiar with it, but uh, I've done a little bit of reading on like the the Chinese sort of economic plan and how they gain a foothold and how they wind up, you know, jump leapfrogging the competition is with with any means necessary, including espionage and including those sorts of, you know, very focused operations. Uh, so it's I mean, it's interesting to hear you say like flat out, there's been instances of we'll give you all this cool stuff for free. And oh, by the way, you owe us money. And on top of that, we may or may not have ways of getting in there and kind of seeing what's going on to see if we can gain competitive advantage. Does that? Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I want to unequivocally like answer the question from an expert in your opinion, right? If you uh, does China send people from the Chinese main, you know, Chinese entities over there to universities in the United States with the goal of getting information from those organizations in whatever yeah. manner possible? Yes, according to investigations through, you know, various US agencies, including FBI, they have determined that there are active um, Chinese spies in universities, sending over especially like medical technology, medical research, um, all different types of, of uh, advanced, you know, AI research, sending from US and other Five Eyes uh, universities to China. Yeah, because it's like, you know, you go look at the Chinese strike fighter. Wow, that looks just like the JSF. Oh, the uh, the Chinese carrier. Oh, that looks, you know, just like some of our designs for new aircraft carriers. Like, it's not, I mean, it's, it's um I, some folks will be like, oh, that's, that's kind of hating on, the, like, no, it's just espionage. And this is espionage 101. They just found a really good way to do it. Yeah, it's happening. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think the U.S. and our allies are, all really challenged trying to find ways to counter it in an ethical way because we play by the rules right i believe so yeah and i mean I hope so. well, okay but i mean i guess that's something to explore we, too, right we do i know when i worked at nsa we had very strict rules about uh, what our jurisdiction was what we were allowed to collect on and we followed those rules to a t just yeah i mean what some people speculate on and exaggerate <clears throat> snowden um we had i did not work in an organization that worked outside of the lines yeah i always thought it was funny i don't know if you've seen that the snowden movie where um he was uh well number one the movie's hilarious but number two like the the stuff where he had his his usb and was putting it into a rubik's cube and all the other you know super covert <laughs> stuff is like this is such bullshit you just put it in a bag and walk out like i don't know why that's you know like come um, on Honestly, I got 15 minutes into that film before I got very frustrated um, with the way they were portraying him as a hero. And I see him as a traitor and straight up the things that he leaked out were extremely dangerous, not only to the U.S. and and American people, but also to the rest of the world. Because, as you know, some of those tools that had nothing to do with data privacy and ended up being retooled uh, by cyber criminals and other nation state actors. So it was just a mess, but I got, I got a little bit into the film. I was like, I can't do this. And I just, I turned it off. I, well, I know the, the real story. Yeah, behind luckily it. now he lives in uh, Russia with Steven Seagal. So for some reason, how that all worked out, I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> I, I just imagine him as like one of the little Russian trolls behind the computer, like trolling Americans. <laughs> 
yeah, well, he's making a lot of money. I mean, the guy's figured out some sort of way to, to make money over there. But, um, yeah, so, okay, well, let's, let's on the China side, uh, I mean, what is the most prolific sort of problem that people face with China when they're thinking about dealing with it? It's just, and I think that the question really is, is this just a nation state? Is this just a big government thing? Or is everybody a potential target for these types of nation state activities? You know, China's about the long game. The CCP has the benefit of consistency over decades, which the rest of us do not. We change leadership every few years, and sometimes it's like a roller coaster for us. So they have the benefit of stability and a very focused, you know, a focus on their objectives. So they're not looking at like the little steps that we analyze are important to put together a big you know, puzzle, but the big puzzle, what we're most concerned with is not only how widespread their technology is from underwater cables to 5G to satellites to IoT, um, we're also looking at how they are trying to restructure the internet. Like they have ideas sponsored by Huawei to completely reconstruct the internet in a way that is more friendly to their socialist views of surveillance and censorship. Um, combine that big picture with like how they want to regulate and they want to kind of balkanize the internet so that every country has responsibility of their own people and infrastructure. Um, that as well as their sheer volume of information that they have access to makes them potentially dangerous for the future. And that's something that we have to look at, the big picture. We know that they're stealing DNA data. They're stealing um, surveillance data from around the world. And now they're actually, they have explicit contracts with certain countries in Africa where they said, hey, we'll provide surveillance technology for you to set up smart cities and safe cities, but we want you to send us back that data so we can better hone our technology for dark-skinned individuals. That set off some alarms in my head. As an American, I'm thinking about the ramifications of, you know, yes, we know that facial recognition technology does not work as well on dark skin and dark skin individuals and features, but improving on that can go two different ways. It can help differentiate and make people safer if you're using it the right way, or it can be used to target groups of individuals the way China's actively using it right now uh, in Hong Kong against pro-democracy movements and against um, you know Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang. So when I heard that there were explicit trade agreements for data, that raises more concerns because they already know a lot about human behavior from IoT devices and uh, and Chinese applications that we use. They know uh, a lot about DNA um, from you know places they've breached and stolen data from, and now we're adding extra layers of of data on top of that, where they get a full picture of human behavior and how to manipulate it using AI. Well, that that takes me to another piece of this equation is. Uh, unequivocally is is 
that nation state engaged in disinformation operations around topics of concern, such as COVID-19 and these types of things. Is that, I mean, is, is that honest? Absolutely. Um, I've been tracking Chinese information operations for several months now, but just in the past two months, I've really been digging in deep. And one of the most common themes, like four out of the top 10 themes in Chinese disinformation has to do with COVID origins. And right now they're really pushing um, two themes. One, it wasn't us and it didn't start in Wuhan. And two, we must demand that the WHO investigate Fort Detrick <laughs> in the US. So they're pointing fingers back at the US going, look at what a mess America is right now with, with all this you know, COVID breakout. And we have not had a good investigation of a possible biolab incident from Fort Detrick. So they're trying to just push those narratives. And as silly as it sounds to us, they've been quite successful with these operations because they're consistent. They just don't stop. It's mm -hmm. high volume, high frequency all the time in English and in Mandarin language sources. Do you think that that's having any impact on like the vaccination stuff and people being willing to sort of trust what the government is telling us around this whole COVID thing? Absolutely. I think there is a large audience for conspiracy theories around the world because people are scared. They, you know, we still don't have, I mean, we, we have U.S. government answers from the investigations about where it may have originated. Um, but there hasn't been this big, uh, you know, worldwide consensus and with China constantly fighting to defend themselves um, as, you know, hey, we weren't the origin. There, there is a large audience that wants to hear alternative theories. Yeah, I mean, it's like the the uh, the uh, the volume of stuff you get with disinformation and whatnot. Like that's a really good point, right? Is it's a drumbeat? It's just a constant. We will get this in front of you, and you will eventually at least consider that this is a possibility. Whatever. I mean, I I have members, and this is like. Honest to God, swear to God, I have, honest, I have members of my own family that think that littered people run the government because they read it somewhere. Like, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some toads in the government, but the, like lizard people like actually run the government. Um, you know, there's a really sad story. I don't know if you saw it this week. I saw it, but the guy killed his kids, right? Yeah, he. Yeah, because he, he thought they had lizard DNA or something. Like serpent DNA or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just the most bizarre stuff, and he was a. He was, uh, I guess he was reading QAnon, QAnon. and got mm -hmm. really into it. And I'm sure there's a lot of mentally unstable people that are seeking answers. And, you know, the danger is not only with the mentally ill, but it's also with this general um, doubt and uncertainty around vaccines and is it safe and are the antivirals safe and you know, who who created this virus that's affecting the world? Because people can't possibly comprehend in their mind that pandemics happen every so often and that we just happen to be living in a time where uh, one of those viruses happened. But, you know, Russia is really big on uh, COVID-19 disinformation as well. Well, They're I mean, that yeah, it's, it's, it's you win, chaos is the goal, right? I mean, if you have the enemy where they can't respond to stuff because they're so mired down in bullshit you win just because you're gaining economic advantage while they're sitting there trying to figure out how to respond to the problem 
Yeah. And there's also, I think there's an economic like competition aspect to it. Um, you know, every country wants their native companies to sell their own native vaccine, um, whether or not it's safe. And Russia has been pushing this, China as well, since the very beginning. They uh, like right now, one of the their biggest tactics is creating cartoons that animate theories and conspiracy theories and rumors and lies. And so, you know, they're they'll uh, accuse U.S. pharmaceutical companies of creating bad vaccines and then vouch for their own, saying, "Oh, we're the safe ones. The U.S. vaccine will turn you into a chimpanzee or whatever." <laughs> I mean, we can laugh about it, but. You would not believe how many thousands of people have liked and reshared this stuff. And and that's like not even including the troll farms that we know of. There's yeah. like an actual following for this stuff. Yeah, the 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 pictures uh, and the video. I used to use those in some speeches of the the videos of the people with the phones all wired together where they, you know, just are running the trolling just nonstop it, it to get the number of what to beat the algorithm, right? Basically. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's uh it's it's kind of far-fetched for a lot of people to think that this level of like uh focused operational activity is taking place but it's i mean this like you said this is a long game like these these entities are looking to what 2050 like they're planning on you know being dominant by that time and uh, i mean that's what it is this is not today this today is not even a, a thing they're looking 20 30 years down the road Oh, yeah. And they know how, you know, um, asymmetric warfare works. They know how influencing people works. And now that we have this Internet that is basically in every country and everyone has a smartphone, that's how they know they can access the minds and the will of people in other countries is, is through the Internet, through social media. Yeah. Don't, don't believe what you read. Well, so then, I mean, what's the fix? What's the, what's the way to, to not be either, if you're talking infrastructure, like what's the infrastructure sort of thing to do? And then what is the, what's the thing for this, the average person to do to get it, you know, around this problem or at least somewhat be around it? I think there's a couple of options. One is, well, just like in cyber threats, there's offense and defense. We haven't seen much offense from Western nations, but I would not doubt if there may be an increase in some kind of like, you know, public service announcements. And we've already seen it, you know, um, like counter disinformation about COVID. I see it on billboards and there's nonprofits that try to counter it. Um, But I wouldn't be surprised if that increases over the years. Right now we're focused on defense. So it's a lot of... um, making people aware uh, through reports and exposing what is going on, exposing these agencies and organizations uh, in, in our adversary nations and going, look, they're, they're putting this many people on this mission. This is how important it is to them. Um, And just exposing the kind of narratives that they're trying to push. It's all about narrative warfare. So right now we're on the defense and I think we need to uh, shift over to offense pretty soon and counter those um, dangerous narratives. Yeah, but do you think we have the the sort of fortitude to do that? Because, I mean, right now we're responding to so many different things and so many different a- avenues. And there's there's Russia and there's China and there's all these other threats. Like, do you 
in your opinion, do you think we're going to be able to to get into that? Or are we just going to kind of hope that this isn't as bad as it looks like it's going to be? I'm not sure. You know, based on our industry, it took so long for private sector to really pick up on cyber threat intelligence. I kind of see a parallel with information operations. Like mm -hmm. the private sector is now picking this up where it used to be just a military thing. And so it's going to take some time for us to develop our trade craft and methodology. You know, um, INSIT Group is working really hard on that right now. Like, um, you know, creating like diamond model for attribution of information operations and um, raising awareness, not only among government clients, but private sector too, because disinformation can seriously affect corporations as well. So, um, you know, I'm an optimist, but... It's, it's pretty challenging. It's there's, pretty optimist, challenging. there's those people that are optimists anymore. I don't really know the thing. Hey, the longer I study China, the less optimistic I've been. But I have faith in our very intelligent people and that there are people focusing on that, um, you know, academics, think tanks, nonprofits, and now private sector for profit. We're all kind of like putting our heads together going, how can we counter dangerous narratives? So if you're if you're a company and you buy technology that rolls off the factory floor in mainland China, should you consider it compromised? Oh, I would definitely do some serious pen tests on that stuff and um, and tackle it from every angle, like every layer of that technology needs to be tested. Um, and, you know, even like hiring outside organizations to help check you and keep you accountable and think uh, it's worth a look at, especially because if you're a foreign company operating within China, that puts an additional level of risk. The Chinese government, the CCP, does not have to offer a warrant to audit any of your data. They can just take it. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's like a level of, of risk using Chinese technology applications and and IoT stuff, but then also additional risk if you work in China. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had people that have asked me, oh, I'm going to China for some work or whatever else. What do I do? And I'm like, get a burner and get a, a Chromebook. And when you get back, chuck them both in a lake and just be done with it and call it a day. Because there's, yes. that's just what it is. I mean, just the moment you walk off the airplane, you should basically think about it's compromised. Same thing if I've had known people that went to Russia, like do, you know, do what you got to do, but burn it. Nuke yes. It. And I think some people would be more likely to be targeted by the CCP and their surveillance, you know, apparatus than others. Like if you work for a big cyber threat company, if you work for technology, it, I mean, look at the list of targets that China's gone after with espionage campaigns. If your company is on that list or your industry is, take the extra precautions. Um, yeah. 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 Get a burner, nuke it, just, you know, microwave, tinfoil yeah. hat. None of this is intended for fear mongering. It's no. all about risk analysis and reducing your risk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no point. Like uh, that's, I think uh, so that's a really good point, right? There's no, there's no, there's nothing about being afraid. Number one, being afraid is not going to help you at all. But like being honest about it and being real, like this is actually going on, and you, as an entity, are being targeted. Like I think that that's worth waking people up to, and I'm glad there's folks like you that are that are trying to champion this message of, yeah. like this is real. Like we're not just a bunch of crazy people in cyber running around going, this stuff is happening. Like no, this it, this is what's up. Yeah, we try to only set off the alarms when it's critical, 
Um, but it's important to look at each campaign for what it is and then also zoom out and look at the big picture, which is why I wrote this um, report called China's Digital Colonialism, because it, it took a, it took a while. It took me like six months to put this together, but it really was difficult because it was hard to summarize and make it short and concise. I tried to keep it under 20 pages because we all know it's hard to digest a 50 page report. Um, and I could have made it longer, but um, that's why it's important to look at, okay, China's the number two power right now in the world. They've grown dramatically. They've got technology in every country. What does this mean for us, wherever you are, whatever company you work at or country you live in? Um, what is the risk for me and what should I know to protect myself and my company? But, you know, on the point about, you know, the fear mongering and things, I, I feel lately like it's important to point out also that we are always referring to the Chinese Communist Party and Beijing's long-term strategies. We're not referring to Chinese individuals or citizens. And, you know, with the rise of hate crimes against Asians all over the world, I think it's always important for our audience to hear us as leaders say that if we're referring to um, China or Chinese technology, we're not referring to the people maybe that work with you that have a Chinese heritage or background. Um, you know, we from the military and from the intel community, we're very cautious about espionage within our ranks. And we should. I mean, you are Dr. Zero Trust. You understand like um, how that works with humans too. But it's also important for us to step back and realize um, most people are not related to the CCP. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's a really good point, right? Is that there's no uh there's no reason and I, I tell people all the this all the time in zero trust and they say well zero trust is about not trusting my people like no that's that's not what it's about like trust your people have, have beers with them be homies and all those however comma like there are there's data there's trends there's different things that you can look at and go like well i i should at least be cautious and be aware and it's not about like you said it's not about being targeting a particular group of people or singling them out but it is it is uh, okay, it is honest to say like this is a thing and you need to know about it. Yeah, there is definitely an espionage threat. Um, you know, uh, I'm just going to put this out there. Um, this morning, I woke up to an email in my personal email box from Sputnik News and they are a journalist from mainland China and they were asking me if I could comment on um a, a new article that just came out, I, I think it was Bloomberg. Um, they published a report that CIA is considering setting up like a China shop to focus on China espionage. The threat is real. What's happening behind the scenes at CIA, we don't know what's going on. We know what we're doing in, you know, in private companies to protect ourselves and do thorough background checks, but you know, we can only do so much before, you know, like I said earlier, they have the long game in mind. They have sleeper agents and cells and all we can really do is be cautious and pay attention to our surroundings and pay attention to like who needs access to this stuff and who doesn't, you know. I, I hope that the CIA has a China shop already set up because that seems like an oversight if we don't. 
<laughs> By the way, I did not respond to them, and uh, we don't talk with uh, Sputnik News. So Sputnik is in China. That seems like a uh, a slight. You know, they don't. Maybe they forgot where Sputnik came from. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I know they said. Um, in all fairness, the the journalist did say he wants to bring a Western perspective to things, but okay, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I said, I mean, yeah. I got I had a, a fish that came through kind of recently where uh, an organization in mainland China asked me to come speak. And I was like, OK, interesting. And then they said another thing and they said, yeah, we're going to pay you fifty thousand dollars for the speech. And I was like, no one in their right mind would pay me that much money for anything I have to say. So this is immediately suspicious. And then the second thing was the the, the thing they sent me to check on my uh, my you know logistics and whatever else was an Excel spreadsheet. And I was like. No, I don't think so. Macros enabled. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was like, eh, I think I'll pass. They're like, you must enable macros to open this, and you're just like, you know who I am, right? I was like, no, I'm, I'm gonna pass. Thanks. I was like, you can send me a check for fifty grand, and maybe we'll see where this goes. But uh, yeah, I, um, I remember when I was speaking in Singapore um, at RSA. I had uh, somebody from the PRC approach me and ask me to speak at a conference and. I was like really polite. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. It was like one of the biggest cybersecurity conferences in mainland China, but I've, I'm not going to step foot. <laughs> not worth it at this point. <laughs> no, I mean, it's one of those things that's your risk calculation, right? Like, is it worth it? Probably not. Mm, uh, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'll stay here and I'll stay in Texas where it's yeah, uh, 50 grand. Woof. Shit! As soon as they said fifty grand, as soon as they said fifty grand, I was like, "This is this no way! Come on, this no way!" If you said if you said like fifty dollars, somebody might pay me fifty bucks to speak. Fifty grand? No. Wow. Yeah. Well, is there any like is there anything else that you think in general we should be aware of or you know make known out there? Because it's it's not often I get to speak somebody's your background and your knowledge in this space. Um. You know. I'm shifting focus completely to information operations right now, uh, specifically from China, um, because that is, that's a major issue. You know, cyber threats are still a problem, but most teams have already been set up for cyber defense um, and influence operations, not so much. So I would say just be cautious, make sure that no matter what you're looking at in social media or in the mainstream media, look at sources, um, listen to official sources on health information. Um, and as far as the threat from China goes, just do thorough risk assessments and be mindful of some of these things. Uh, and of course, the report can be found on Recorded Futures website if anybody wants to read the full Yeah, I've read, I've read all the stuff you published. It's all super stuff because um, I, I read all the time like that's my thing. So. Awesome. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. You guys published really good stuff. I was a fan of Recorded Future back when they were like six people in a in a bus, you know, doing but they're they're big now. They just got a big funding round and uh, stuff's just rolling along for y'all, huh? Yes. I'm really happy to be working here. You know, we were customers when we worked um, you know, before together. And mm -hmm. I kind of cut my teeth on threat intel with recorded future. So it's uh an honor. You know, we have the predict conference coming up in October and it turns out I get to be a co-host. So I'm very excited. Um, 
I remember back when I was just trying to get a budget to attend when it was called our fun. And yeah. so I get to host predict this year. Awesome. Well, yeah. you're all over the news. I see you on like CNBC and MSNBC oh. and yeah, you're big time. Only because you were my mentor. From the I just keep bumping along and sometimes I get to help good people out. So yeah. <laughs> yeah back to, uh, you know, uh, what was it? CTU? Yeah. <laughs> that was the yep. first time I went on camera with you. Oh man. Yeah. That was a while back. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. We had, uh, that was for the folks that don't know when we were at armor, we did, uh, this was early days. Like we were trying to do our own YouTube thing and whatever else. And, uh, it was, it was pretty fun, but it wasn't very good. <laughs> hey, we had to start somewhere. Yeah. Right. You got to start somewhere. So it's yeah. all, it's always bad to be ahead of the market, I guess is what they say. So <laughs> yeah. we hey, were, that we were that practice led us here. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. Well, uh, as always, thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, expert in China, expert in narrative intelligence operations, big hitter at Recorded Future, and obviously great things coming in the very near future. Charity Wright, Recorded Future. Thank you. Thank you. Always good to talk to you. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.